Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone'sACriticPodcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Uh, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Write and view the show. Give us a five-star review. We'll read it on the air. And if you let us know you did that, uh, one, let us know so we can read it. But two, you'll be entered into a chance to win an Asian film uh, by going to our social media and letting us know that you did the review. Uh, Check out uh, Well Go USA. You've got a, a number of their titles that are uh, what you'll be finding uh, for free if you give us a review. Yes. And all the information is pinned to the top of our Twitter and Facebook pages. Uh, Patreon.com slash Critics Pods, the best way to help support the podcast. And then there's T Public. If you go to IHateCritics.net, click on the T Public link off to the right and kind of upper right hand corner. Uh, you can get yourself some podcast merch. And as always, we stream live on YouTube when we record. If you want to watch the videos or listen to the episodes, you can do it on YouTube as well. Click on the bell at the top of the screen to subscribe and be notified. All right, let's jump right into it. We have a lot of movies this week, sort of. Uh, we'll start with Don't Breathe 2. Yeah, Don't Breathe 2, the <laughs> misguided uh, decision to try and make the character Stephen Lang played in Don't Breathe into the sort of kind of heroic character in this movie. Um, <laughs> um, this is a bad movie to say the least. It's directed by a guy named uh, Roto Sayegas, C- 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 who uh, I don't know if, I don't think he's directed a movie before. Uh, you can definitely tell from watching this that most, aside from Stephen Lang, not many people in this movie seem to have made a movie before. <laughs> Uh, it, it's bad, but it's not like bad in that like truly epically bad. It's just bad. Uh, so the story goes that this guy, he's a blind man. He's a former veteran. And uh, when people broke into his house in the first movie, he set about uh, killing them violently to protect the fact that he had a woman tied up in his basement. Uh, in this movie, it picks up in the wake of that one. Uh, where he finds, a, I guess it's sometime well after the first movie, I guess, uh, he finds a, a, a very young girl, maybe two or three years old, laying in the street. Uh, she's just escaped from a house fire uh, at a crack house. Uh, their parents were running. Uh, she doesn't know if she was in a crack house, I assume, but he picks her up, he takes her home, and he essentially starts raising her as his daughter. And uh, eight years pass, and he's you know, teaching her how he's teaching her survival techniques and he's not harming her. He's just, you know, teaching her how to take care of herself if she needed to enact violence against people, which is a great lesson for 10 year olds. All 10 year olds should learn how to handle a weapon. And (laughs) nevertheless, regardless, um, uh, she goes to visit the place where she uh, believes her mother died this burnt out crack house and uh, her father happens to be there and sees her she doesn't see him but he sees her and he follows her and decides that he's going to try and get her back uh so he follows uh the person she was with back to the house where the blind guy is and uh, he kills the blind guy's dog and then they set about entering the house and trying to take the girl and uh kill the blind man they fail he goes back after them at their crack house where in a, in a twist, her mother's not dead, but her mother needs a heart transplant. 
mm-hmm. and they have only they have only one donor for that. If you can imagine, um, this movie is terrible. It is pointless. It is uh, it's just all about people getting hit with a claw hammer. That's basically the whole point of this movie. I got to see this movie in a crowd of about four people, <laughs> and and among the crowd was a gentleman who. Who I, I wanted to believe that he was just laughing at how silly the violence is, but the reality was I could just sense from the way he laughed that he really just enjoyed watching people get hit with claw hammers, and that was disturbing, was deeply disturbing. His his laughter was not appropriate. It was a uh, <laughs> Max Katie Cape Fear kind of laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, this movie's bad. It's bad in uh, mostly forgettable ways. It, I mean, it looked bad, number one. But number two, just listening to you describe it is you go back to the old less is more, and this movie tries to cram so much story into uh, what it was already a bad premise, especially uh-huh. going off of the fir- first one, trying to make him the victim or the good guy. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I never understood why the first movie they made him a villain. In the first film, uh, just make him a super badass, you know, uh, B movie Clint Eastwood, and have it be that the people who broke into his house are the bad guys, and he yeah. and he just enacts some horrific violence against them. Like, at least then you could see him as an anti-hero. Like, you know, you could buy in. But uh, this idea that we're going to now treat him like he's somewhat heroic uh, in this movie is is just ludicrous. Unless you're left with. Uh, you're left with this very typical child in danger plot, which child in danger plots are some of the most insidious, you know, uh, plots in history. It's just, it's, it's something that a really terrible screenwriter falls back on. Well, I, I may not have the audience with any of my other characters or anything else that happens in this movie, but they're going to, at least because a child's in danger, they're going to feel something. And that's just cheap and exploit and exploitative. And, and uh, it's not, not enough to sell a movie. Right. No, I can see the story of the you know the bad guy, you know, being in a scenario where he has to, you know, more morally he's challenged and he starts to turn the corner, and then now something that could expose his history pops up. I can see a story like that working, but this just mm-hmm. seems to take that and then run way too far. Like it doesn't stop there; it just keeps going and brings in this crack house that doesn't really <laughs> need. To, I don't know. <laughs> And even then, you would have to have a good screenwriter to make that work. Uh, this just sounds like a Hollywood. Look, just what about this? What about that? What about this? <laughs> the thing is that Stephen Stephen Lang would make a great like B movie Clint Eastwood. You know, he can make. He's probably could. He probably could outact Eastwood right now <laughs> in terms of just being believable anymore, because Eastwood continues to insist on writing his own stuff and sounding utterly foolish like in the latest trailer for cry macho which is just an absolutely abysmal piece of writing in the trailer just in the trailer alone um but lang could have made an entire career remaking you know eastwood movies and and he would be very rich right now but he said instead they try to turn him into i don't know like a reformed michael myers or some shit yeah they set it up for a third one no, no. Let's say Thankfully, on, they they do not. Based on the crowd of four people, I don't know how successful <laughs> this was. Uh, uh, no, no spoilers, but it's it's a definitive end for this character. 
Yeah, we said that about Michael Myers. <laughs> and Freddy and Jason and Chucky. <laughs> they keep going back. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to Free Guy starring Ryan Reynolds. Free Guy. Ennui the movie. Um, this, is a, this is a movie that uh, stars Ryan Reynolds as a video game character. He's a non-playable character who uh, uh, finally starts to come to life when he sees this woman played by Jodie Comer in the in the game. And uh, he breaks the pattern of a non-playable character. Instead of going to work that day, he follows her to wherever she's going. And he's not supposed to do that. He's not supposed to be able to do that. Um, but he does, and he's kind of a surprise to everybody. Then the next day, uh, he decides to intervene when his bank that he works at is getting robbed. He gets robbed every day, multiple times a day, and to the point where he and his buddy, uh, Lil Ral Howry, are just kind of like used to it. They make plans for after work while the robberies are happening. Like, this is just everyday occurrence for them. That's what happens in the game. Uh, and, and sometimes they get shot and killed and wake up in their bed the next morning and go back to their routine. Sometimes they don't. Um, so when he starts breaking his pattern, he starts to, he finally realizes that he's in a video game and he takes these sunglasses off of one of the players and, uh, suddenly you can see the video game world. And he decides that, uh, in a world full of bad guys who are robbing people, he'll be the one good guy who earns points in this game by being kind to people. And he becomes a social media sensation. You're already bored. (laughs) I can see just... (laughs) And yes, you're right. You're on the right track. Um, like Ryan Reynolds is, is, is still a movie star. He's still one of my favorite people. But I think the the black hole of direction on the part of Sean Levy just sucks everything into it. Even I mean, Take a Waititi is one of the most delightful performers in movies today, whether directing or starring. And he, along with Lil Ral Howery and Joe Curie, just gets sucked into this uh black hole this void that is the direction of sean levy and they create this thing that it is impossible to invest in it is impossible to care about this it is impossible to hate this it's impossible to enjoy this it is a a void of of any type of emotional investment whatsoever either negative or positive i tried to actually get angry at this movie because it's got that stupid stupid trope where the really the best guess who the best player let me just ask you this the game is called free city and everybody plays it all these internet people play everybody plays it. it's the most popular game in the world so who do you think is the best player in the real world of this game who is the guy that is the best player at this i'll spoil it for you it's a guy who lives with his mom who looks like a troll and his his avatar in the game is channing tatum because we've never seen that joke before, ever. No one's ever done that joke before, for fuck's sake. <sighs> that was the one time I actually cared about this movie. It was enough to just hate that moment. But then it, it goes away quick enough. Uh, and we see actual people who actually make their living playing video games being part of this. And it's like, why did you include that joke and include like someone like Jack Septicai, who's like this very well-known Twitch YouTube guy playing video games who seemingly defies this notion of this trollish uh, joke stereotype that you're doing. Why, why include those two things? Why insult him and have him in your movie? <laughs> right. Yeah. It like, I guess the trailer is fun enough because it's short and it's Ryan Reynolds <laughs> and it's people you, you like. 
uh, uh-huh. and you're able to edit it together. But I mean, then you start looking around. It's PG thirteen. He's not playing Deadpool. He's you know, it's, uh, and I'm sure Ryan Reynolds makes it as good as he can. Uh, he does what he can. But I don't know. You almost if you really want to get Ryan Reynolds, you need to let him almost have creative control of the movie and <laughs> allow all his charisma to come through. Uh, into the storyline break the fourth wall whatever i mean hell like you said you got uh how do you pronounce his name taika watiti taika watiti Watiti. great director you know fantastic actor he could have done (laughs) something better than this i Uh, imagine yeah he would have done something with this i think the problem is is that somebody you know had a premise for a movie and then they're like, okay, here's the premise. It's a, it's, there's a guy in a video game. Make a movie about that. <laughs> and, and it just became this, this sort of product that somebody was just going to shit out based off of a premise. And, and this is what we get. It's a movie right. that was shot out uh, via a premise from, I mean, it's, it's the same, it's the same movie as Jungle Cruise in many ways. I mean, those characters in those movies, this movie and Jungle Cruise can do anything in those universe, in that universe. And we're going to just, you know, it's pleasant because they're doing it. <laughs> and, and it's, it demands nothing of you. It demands nothing of your attention. It demands nothing of your mind. It demands nothing of you, but to sit there and just have these familiar images wash over you for 90 minutes. That's what this one, this one's like that. Uh, even suicide squad to a point is kind of like that just because it's very familiar and it's something that everybody's aware of. It's it's IP. This is just familiar IP just shoved in your face to the point where there's like Marvel references and Disney references. And of course, it's based upon, you know, uh, GTA and uh, and kind of across with like, uh, I don't know, The Sims. <laughs> it's that kind of the game. I mean, it's just familiar IP just everywhere. Familiar IP. And that's all we have to give you is something that is vaguely familiar to you starring people you like, and we've made a movie and we're done. And I'm sorry, after seeing John in the hole, (laughs) after seeing the green Knight, I can't do free guy anymore. I can't (laughs) maybe, maybe I'll find that in the future again. Maybe they'll put out another fast and furious and I'll be able to enjoy myself again, but I can't, I can't now. (laughs) I don't know how you can draw that to begin with, but anyway, <laughs> uh, you throw because Vin the- Diesel has a poignance to his terribleness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even that conversation we had when we did that episode about Vin Diesel trying to uh, what's method act <laughs> and piss the Rock <laughs> off. Well, fast forward a few weeks, they read that quote to The Rock, and he just started laughing uncontrollably in an interview. <laughs> I mean, the other thing that bugs me about, and I didn't see this, but the yeah. reference to They Live, or not even the reference, the flat-out stealing and then making it worse. You know, the yeah. frustration of trying to explain, look what, look what you know, it's like, a political argument, and but you know the answer, and how do you explain it to this person? That that frustration is a good story. It's been done. Uh, now is the best time to do it, though. <laughs> yeah. So run with that story instead of, <laughs> oh, I'm just going to be a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you just watch 
people you like collecting paychecks, which good for them. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Adam Sandler also already made this movie as well. <laughs> I can't remember the name of that one though. Yeah, I have no. Oh, the Pac Man game. Yeah. Yeah, that was. <laughs> that was awful. That looked great. I never saw it because it fell off the face of the earth fast. <laughs> To the point where if you're going to reference an Adam Sandler movie, I can't even name it right now. I can't even either. It's the weird thing. Like I, I know I saw it. <laughs> Pixels, maybe. I, I reviewed it on this show. Oh, yeah, I yeah, that it. might be it. Yeah, that's when I'm going to say Adam Sandler movies. That one's not going to pop up to the top of my mouth. You know, even the bad ones, they're going to stick out. That one is just kind of. <sighs> that's this. <laughs> I know, I know we're off on a tangent here, but I saw a wonderful tweet. Somebody was talking about Billy Madison and from the perspective of the character played by uh, his female love interest and the director trying to explain to him, trying to explain to her how, why she's in love with him. <laughs> she's basically like, but he's, he's yelling at a grandmother right now. Like, what do I see appealing about this guy? She's like, he just do it for the movie. Okay, fine. <laughs> And you can't even be like, it's the money, because <laughs> in the story, they're trying to tell she actually likes him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Enough about this. Let's yeah. let's pray this movie's better. Uh, I wanted to see this. I didn't have a chance. Respect starring Jennifer Hudson. It's better, but not by much. Uh, it's, it's not great, unfortunately. And this is really... This is a function not of Jennifer Hudson, who's doing everything that she can to to make this work. Like she really believes in this. Uh, she wants to invest Aretha Franklin with the kind of life and excitement and and joy that Re- Aretha Franklin embodied for so many people. The problem with this one is is that we've seen this biopic a million times. I mean, every biopic is this biopic. Um, it's a, an accumulation of, of traumas and tragedies mixed in with a couple of triumphs here and there, and then you get to the end. Uh, are you familiar with the screenwriting book known as Save the Cat? Uh, yes. So the, what he has a thing in that book that is a, called a beat sheet. And if you're a first-time screenwriter, it's a great tool. You're going to learn a lot. <laughs> Um, but if you're somebody who's making this movie and you and you're making a movie about Aretha Franklin, if you're going to adhere, adhere so strictly to a beat sheet to the point where I my article coming out about this tomorrow is a rundown of a Blake Snyder beat sheet of respect because I can name every scene and tie it to each one of Blake Snyder's things. This is so tied to the construction of a screenplay that it makes instead of making a human being out of Aretha Franklin, it turns her into the mechanics of a screenplay. And it robs her of her very basic humanity and the thing and how she meant so many, so many things to so many different people. Uh, So the things that happened to her, these accumulated uh, traumas of having suffered through childhood rape and given birth to two of her rapist children, uh, to her alcoholism, to her relationship with her father, to her abusive relationship with her husband. They're all rendered in this fashion that play out on a on a screenplay beat sheet and it doesn't feel like a human life it feels like something that somebody wrote and she was a real person <laughs> Rita Franklin existed and touched the lives of millions and overcame amazing odds to do what she did and recover from what she did and and live this incredible life and create this amazing music and all of that is lost because this is such a mechanical 
thing. Okay, we need to get to this beat now, and then we need to get to the B plot, and then we need to get to the midpoint, and then we got to do the the act three break. And it, you can just see these things. The, the machinery is just constantly moving, and you can see it like you're watching a machine being built before your eyes. And it just it sucks all of the humanity out of this incredibly human woman, this brilliant, brilliant singer. Jennifer Hudson's great, and she sings the songs amazingly, but she is so let down by the direction that it just, this feels like every other movie. It feels like every other biopic. Yeah, I was going to ask, I mean, one thing this podcast has done is sort of make, made us turn on movies like Ray and Walk the Line. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, there's a million other ones. Uh, mm-hmm. Get on up. Get on up. I mean, even we we liked Straight Outta Compton, but I did. I mean, I when I went, I didn't watch it the week we did it, but when I rewatch it, to me, it's the same thing. It's you're trying to capture this long career or whatever, or this long period of time, and cram it into a ninety to minute to two hour movie, and yeah. and it sounds like this movie used <laughs> used that beat sheet to get there, and maybe they all did to an extent. I mean, I could. It feels like they all do. That's the thing. They they all feel like they're the same movie because of the way they're structured trauma 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 triumph trauma 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 triumph trauma triumph and yeah and <laughs> that's, the, that's the movie the ones that do it the best do it like here's a two-week period of time uh or well, the, you the know. best music biopic i've ever seen is i'm not here it's the it's the bob dylan right. uh, biopic with kate blanchett james franco a dozen different actors playing Bob Dylan in various different scenarios from parts of his life. Todd Haynes directs the hell out of that. Kate Blanchett embodies Bob Dylan in a way that no other actor could. She's incredible in that movie. And everything about that movie is special because they did something different. different. They told his life story and, and they did it in a way that was incredibly unique and it made his life more resonant and more real. And there's a way they could have done this. The, the thing about this movie is it builds up to her uh, gospel album that she recorded live in the church that was the subject of the Amazing Grace documentary just last year. Um, and what you could have done, and this is just, I'm, I'm just, I'm not trying to make a better movie, but I think there is a better movie to be made. You start at the church. You start with her being nervous backstage about this incredibly pivotal moment in her life where she's just left behind alcohol. She's uh, separated from long now separated from her abusive husband. She's getting ready to go out on this stage and do something that people have told her she's probably not supposed to do make a gospel album at this point, in her career uh, that goes on to become her most successful record. But she doesn't know that at the time. It's a lot of, she's got a lot of fear and anxiety. Then you use that. And each of the songs that she's going to perform like amazing grace and these other legendary gospel songs as jumping off points for flashbacks to the things that she went through that make these songs so important for her to sing now. Right. That makes, <laughs> I mean, that's not that hard either. That, cause that's kind of been done as well, but not in a way that, I mean, there's a way to do that originally, you know, yeah, uniquely. And yeah, it's, that's kind of a bummer. And I mean, all these movies have great performances, yeah, I mean, but, Chadwick Boseman's incredible as James Brown, but that movie isn't very good. Uh, you know, James Jamie Foxx is an Academy Award oh, winner for Ray, amazing. but again... <laughs> and Joaquin Phoenix is one of the best actors we got. And, you yeah. know, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, 
all these lives are rendered the same by this this approach to a biopic this this structure that they choose yeah i mean i appreciate rocket man for trying to make a fantasy like the way they told that's a good one yes that, that, unique and that's a great example of of a very good biopic and i mean even bohemian rhapsody was at least the greatest hits record <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't really a movie, but the way they did the music was enough to make it watchable for enough people. Like, but I just you don't see a lot of people talking about Ray and walked. Like, you know, those movies aren't standing the test of time like they yeah. you thought they would have, and that's kind of a well, bummer. especially the lives that they're portraying. I mean, are lives that are never going to be forgotten. Aretha Franklin's life is never going to be forgotten even with this being a, a colossal failure, but the, uh, the, Ju- the Judy Garland movie is the exact same way, you know, <laughs> now, <laughs> the exact same thing with that. Is this a failure failure across the board or is this just like a failure for you? Like it's, I, all those other movies were beloved by critics and won awards. It's about, it's about 60% on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's pretty much dead in the water. I don't know how it did at the box office this weekend. Yeah. I imagine it's not going anywhere further than this weekend. Yeah. It's not Jennifer Hudson's fault. No. And anyway, in any way, and, and even Liesl Tommy is not a bad director. Uh, she she's a quite, quite uh, respectable director. She's she's got solid film language. She's got solid uh, a basis for drama. You know, the, the way she presents uh, Aretha's sexual assault when she was like, I believe she was 10 or 11 years old when this happened. She presents that in a way that that is very it's menacing, believable, and 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 terrifying and awful. But she presents it in a way that visually, this man walks into her room during a party. Her her father is having a party downstairs. He slips into her bedroom, which is a normal thing for people to do because usually people are coming in her room at this time to ask her to come down and sing. He slips into her room. She's somebody he he's somebody she knows. He starts talking about how much he cares about her and. And you can sense what's beginning to happen. The door to the bedroom is open. Light is coming in from the outside. He takes a step towards that door. And you're hoping and praying that he's going to step outside that door and go back to the party. But then he slowly shuts the door with himself still inside. And then we cut to the next scene. And that is a brilliant piece of acting and a brilliant piece of direction. It, it communicates exactly what is about to happen. And it, it doesn't withhold the horror, but it also isn't a crass exploitation of what took place. The following scene is just as good. This little girl goes downstairs to prepare for church, Aretha, and her grandmother wants to do her hair and she refuses. She just flatly refuses to have her hair done because she doesn't want to look pretty because she thinks because she looked pretty, this happened to her. Right. That's incredibly moving. It's a really great scene. And it's a shame that that then is turned into this mechanical plot afterwards. It just sounds like a scenario where you have too many people involved. You know, yeah. you probably got her camp. You probably have a studio. You got probably a record company. I don't know. You probably just have too many people saying, well, no, you know, and so it has to be mechanical by nature. And so you bring a director and an, you bring a cast and an actor, a director that can make it as good as possible poss- with the limitations you have. Probably because yeah. I love Aretha Franklin so much, or you know Johnny Cash or uh, Ray uh, Charles, you know whatever they are, are such big fans, they do the best they can <clears throat> yeah. with, the, with the mechanical limits they're given. Unfortunately, that sucks. This does te- this does seem like a very studio project. I don't I don't feel like. 
um, little Tommy had that much control over what she could deliver in this. And that might be where we end up with this kind of middling, uh, well-made, uh, well-intended, but uh, too far too mechanical biopic. All right, let's move on to Beckett on Netflix. Beckett stars John David Washington as the main character, Beckett. He's on vacation with his girlfriend, played by Alicia Vikander. Um, The two get into an accident. Uh, She is killed in this accident. Uh, He survives. In that process, he happens to see something that he's not supposed to have seen. Uh, He's taken to the hospital. He's um, he's suffered some. Uh, He finds out that she's dead. Uh, Then he decides to go back to this place where she died with the intent of killing himself. But when he gets there, he finds that there is somebody there and they try to, and they immediately start shooting at him just immediately. So he has to go on the run and he's the cop that was there. That seemed very kind to him at the police department is now also after him. And he has to fight them off and try and figure out why they want him dead. Uh, The reason they want him dead is because he saw a kid who had been kidnapped, who is the son of a guy who's running for, the president of Greece, who's being held uh, captive. So this guy will do whatever is being asked of him. And Beckett can essentially say that he knows where this kid is. So they have to kill him or they know he's, he knows the kid's alive. So then, then it becomes this thing where he's a, it's a thriller and he's on the run and he can't trust anybody. And that's it. Um, John David Washington is great. You know, he's a great actor. I just don't think he's right for this. He's a little bit off. He doesn't really have the right energy uh, for this character. Um, the thing about it, the, thing, the biggest problem I have is not him necessarily, because I think he's a, still a great actor who can go through the mechanics of this well enough. The issue is that they turn him into the, the Black Knight from Monty Python at a certain point with the injuries that he suffers. He is shot he is stabbed. He is sliced. He is nearly blown up. He's hit a car crash. Like so many things happen to this guy. He's got a cast on his arm. You can see in the poster here. And at one point, he gets stabbed in the cast. So his already broken arm gets stabbed, and he has to continue running around enacting this plot. Well, with a wound that I think would probably take down a Navy SEAL. Like this is just the kind of thing that it was like. It became. Uh, that Mark Wahlberg soul survivor movie <laughs> after a while where it's just this guy is every bone in his body has to be broken at this point And he's still running from these people. It's, it, it's just so ludicrous at this certain point. And so I, I kind of lost interest most of the way through um, like he, some of it. I mean, a lot of it is very, is very good, but it's not, a lot of it is also not very good. So it's kind of somewhere in the middle. It got off to a great start, and then it just yeah. kind of, I don't know if repetitive is the right word, but it just, it never seemed to, <laughs> the stakes just started up so high, and then they just stayed at the same, <sighs> I don't know if it was exhausting or boring, you know, because it was, it just kind of plateaued, even with the yeah. high stakes, it wasn't, I don't know, it, right off the bat when they started shooting them, I was like, okay, I'm, this is weird, what's going on, and then it was just kind of. I don't know. It just like I love him. I think he's one of my he's one of my favorite actors to watch. Uh, but this is just it was just again. I don't know if boring or exhausting is the right word. But either way, I, I lost interest about halfway through. Yeah, it's just another been there, done there action plot after a while, and 
as he's piling up his injuries, it just becomes almost comic. Yeah. Didn't think about it that way, but now that you say it. <laughs> I wonder if it plays better as a comedy. <laughs> Perhaps. All right. Let's move on to Coda, Apple Films. Yes. Uh, Coda is a, a, this is an interesting interesting one because it's like so this went to sundance and got amazing reviews like it was one of the best reviewed movies coming out of sundance to the point where apple tv paid 25 million dollars to get the rights to this movie to put it on apple tv and then they released it on august 13th with no ad campaign whatsoever (laughs) like i don't know why they why they decided to buy this movie and bury it is beyond me But nevertheless, uh, this Coda is a child of deaf adults. Uh, that's what Coda means. And uh, the main character here is a young lady whose parents and her brother are deaf. And she's relied upon to help them uh, with the hearing world and, you know, interpret for them, doing sign language and speaking to people. And she's very young. She's uh, I can't, uh, 16, 17, maybe 17, I think. Um, and and she wants to go, you know, have a life of her own, but she's also being forced to work on this fishing boat because, you know, her dad and her brother can't go out there by themselves and, and do this because they can't hear the radio. They can't, you know, listen for the weather conditions on the radio, that kind of stuff. There's a lot of things they can't do in this scenario, uh, on top of which the regulation indicates that they have to have a hearing person aboard the boat. So she's been relied upon for this. She's been relied upon to handle other aspects of their business. And she's also trying to live her life where she's wanting to become a singer because she's a very good singer. She joins a choir and right off the, this is where the movie loses me a little bit. Cause it's got Eugenio Derbez as her choir teacher. And he's my enemy nearly as much as Gerard Butler. Uh, I really just don't like Eugenio Derbez as an actor. He, he just rubs me the wrong way in everything. And even something as good as this, he, he's bad um (laughs) this is not a bad movie though this is probably the best movie certainly the best movie we talked about so far it's uplifting it has you know really wonderfully committed performances you know marley matlin and uh, i don't know the name of the man who plays her husband but he they're both uh, actually deaf the 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 brother's actually deaf they hired deaf actors to do this and and you can and you can see their genuine qualities and it it does enhance the movie to have those genuine qualities and the young lady who's leading the movie is really really very good and it becomes very emotional at the end um which he's performing and doing sign language it's just it's really beautiful and i i teared up uh, it overcame, even though I felt that there were some elements of this where we were very conventional and a little bit crass, a little bit too commercial. Uh, by the end, those final scenes really, really worked on me. And and so I, I do like this movie. I think there's a lot of this movie that is tad sitcomic at times. Uh, the, the crassness of the parents at times is a little bit overplayed. Uh, like, they're deaf Roseanne characters. <laughs> but 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 putting that aside, I, I like I said the the main character is she's very very good and I bought in uh, at the end. Yeah, I watched this one. Uh, in I, I, you're 100 percent right. This is all about the ending. That scene where she's singing uh, is an amazing scene. Uh, one of the best scenes I've seen in a while. Uh, the rest of the movie is very conventional, like you said, uh, almost like pretty cancer movies you know it's almost yeah. that level of uh 
that said preciousness <laughs> but that those movies are successful all the time yeah. so i don't understand why you would bury this i don't know what why would you throw 25 million dollars on it then not promote it <laughs> like i i'm my idiot ass should have watched beckett on my own and then watch this with my wife because this was right around but i didn't know what it was yeah so i got halfway through it i'm like well i'm already this far i'm not gonna go back uh but this, but I didn't know what it was because I didn't yeah. advertise it at all. <laughs> no. And then you go, you know, you mentioned having real deaf characters or actors play the characters. It does bring something else out of it. But at the same time, if you brought a non-deaf actor in who's more known, maybe you get a little more popular. I don't mean what. Where do you draw the line in terms of yeah. what, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to make money or be an artist? Either way, you're not really doing either one. But you have a great scene, uh, yeah. and it. Yeah. This has enough great scenes to to work. There are a couple other good ones. Ferdia Walsh Pilo uh, from Sing Street uh, plays uh, the young girl's love interest, and and they have a scene where they sing together, back to back with the guitar, and it's a great scene. It's a lovely romantic teenager scene. I, I dug that, and he's he's very authentic in the movie as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree, it, but that last scene was like upper echelon. Yeah, in terms of great. Yeah, there are good things in it. And I didn't even mind the teacher that much. I understand why you don't like him. <laughs> but I think if you throw out his history, if you throw out all his history, you might be okay with him. Perhaps, yeah. Uh, but he has that history, so it's fair to include it. Uh, I mean, it. it I, I'm. I guess this movie just baffles me, but the, its existence, the way it exists, and the way it's released makes no sense yeah, that- at all to me. It really that becomes sort of the dominant story of this. Like, why did they choose to? Maybe they're going to put out a big Oscar campaign. I hope that's the case. I hope they're going to roll out a big Oscar thing at the end of the year. Not saying that this is that good a movie, right? (laughs) But at least that last scene is an Academy level scene at the very least. I I wouldn't say I wouldn't endorse this movie to win anything. I think it's a very good movie, but um, not that level good. But I'm I'm hoping just. Why? Why bury this? Why put this? Why does Apple spend twenty five million dollars on a movie that they then choose not to promote? It makes right. no sense. And I could see. Yeah, I mean, really, you should take advantage of that. And I'm, this is going to sound like I'm being an asshole, but I'm being serious on a strategy level. Forget morals. Right. The woke culture. <laughs> Uh, having deaf actors play the characters, it, it could be a gimmick you could use to get in the yeah. Oscar nominations. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Hasn't she won before? Or at least been nominated. Marley Matlin. Yeah, she yeah. she won a she won Best Supporting Actress back in the eighties for. Uh, oh gosh, the the Traveler. No wait, no, it was the Children of a Lesser God. It was Children of a Lesser God. I'm not sure exactly which role it was. But it's on Apple Plus if you want to watch it with your wife. Or girlfriend, it's, it's it works for that kind of movie. Uh, it, yeah, I, it's a feel good movie. Yeah. All right, Materna. Materna is the story of four different women who are uh, traveling on a subway car, and there's a man aboard the st- subway who starts becoming belligerent, and you're going to see that story sort of unfold uh, throughout uh, various different from different perspectives. Uh, four different women telling four different stories about how they ended up, uh, what they did leading up to being on this subway car and what's going to happen at the end. The first story is, talks about, is from the perspective of, of actress Caitlin Schell, uh, who's playing a character 
that is a very unusual life. Um, she, we see, we see her on the train and then we see her at her home where she's dressed in a full body suit, haptic suit, and, uh, and a VR mask. And she's working on some sort of computer thing that turns out it's going, she's going to have sex with this suit on. And, Okay, you know, that's her job. That's weird. It's a weird way to introduce a character, but fine. I'm, I'm here for it. Let's go. She has something happens while this is taking place. She has like some sort of freeze up in the midst of it. Uh, this uh, sexual encounter that she's having virtually. And she notes that in her in her notes afterwards that this happens and she didn't know why. She talks to her mother. Her mother harangues her about not having kill- ch- children and she, she's getting older and she needs to freeze her eggs and all this stuff. We watch her then enact her daily routine where she does not leave her house. Everything is delivered to her. She does this, you know, she does Tai Chi every day at this time. She does her lunch at this time, dinner at this time, reading at this time, work at this time. She does not leave her house. And then she gets sick. And visually, we see her having morning sickness. And that tells you she's pregnant. But the way it's structured, because we don't know anything about her beforehand and because of this sexual encounter she had in VR, weirdly this movie that is not at all supernatural makes it feel as if she's been impregnated through virtual reality and has an, has an abortion of this virtual reality baby. Now I don't think that's what the movie intended, but the, the poor structure of how they're telling the story ruins everything by leading you down that bizarre path. Like why even leave that open? The reality I believe is what, what occurred is that before this story, she was assaulted by a man and impregnated via rape. That's my guess. I have absolutely no basis based off of the movie to determine whether or not that's true. (laughs) And then she, her story uh, ends with her actually leaving her house to go and be on this subway car. She's going to see her mother. The other three stories are 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 incredibly grounded. Like there's no element that is not outside of reality in any way. An actress is having trouble with her mom. This is a really interesting story. This actress is uh, on a successful TV show that's ending. She's looking for her next job. She's divided from her mother uh, by because her mother is devout a devout member of a of the Jehovah Witness. And the actress does not want to be part of that. So her mother is cutting her out of her life. And this is a very painful thing for her. And this is the kind of role that young black women don't tend to get. Like we don't tend to give them anything that isn't related to uh, relationships or sex. So this is a very, I I found it powerful that we're dealing with this, these characters in this way. We're dealing with her work as an actress and with her relationship with her mother and the role she's trying to get is forcing her to tap into this these feelings of resentment that she has towards her mother, these feelings that she does not want to deal with. So she's delivering these sort of flat line readings. She's not investing in this role the way she needs to. And her, she has a teacher who's trying to push her, another black woman, which is, again, wonderful casting, because, again, we don't get to see two women who are not having a conversation about men uh, for once. It's just very interesting. And she's trying, she doesn't know, the acting teacher doesn't know what she's going through with her mother. So she's just, she's trying to get her to invest and use real life emotion and invest that into this role. And she doesn't want to. And her find, trying to force her to tap into that is a very, very well played story. The two other stories are, are equally 
The one of them is bad. <laughs> it's about a conservative woman who just is a straw man for all conservative beliefs, and she's made to look a fool repeatedly. Uh, then the th- fourth story is this brilliant story about a woman who returns to to Kazakhstan, where her uh, uncle, her beloved uncle, has committed suicide, and she wants to know why. And her mother and grandmother don't want to tell her why. And it's three women trying to process this grief while trying to decide what's what secrets to let out, what to try and keep secrets. And she's just trying to force them into admitting what took place. That's a great story. Each of these could be movies in their own right, and they'd be probably very good. But truncated into this two-hour movie where each of them gets about 25 minutes to try and communicate this story, on top of which you've got the interstitials of the subway story unfolding until the end, it doesn't work. and It's just too much for one movie. It's not enough of each of these stories because we want to know more about each of these stories aside from the conservative one. That one, get that out of here. I, I don't, I don't mind seeing a conservative woman being being made fun of in this way because this character is kind of a bad person in many ways. But she's a straw man. She's not. This is this is the kind of things that 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 liberals make fun of to a, to it at a very basic level that is just not a very impressive. It's not very thoughtful. Right. And so I didn't I didn't care for that. But these other three stories could make entire movies of their own that I would like to see more of. And it's just a shame that that it's all truncated into this. It can almost be like an eight episode limited series or something like that. Yeah. But it seems like you need more time for it. Yes. Or South Park just take the first one and pregnant Cartman's <laughs> mom with for virtual reality and run with that. <laughs> And probably do a great job. Uh, sounds interesting, at least. <laughs> compared, it, to is, it is interesting, and I think this director is very talented. I think he can do amazing things in the future. Like he's got that, like that that virtual reality stuff. That that idea that they posit, perhaps that this is a pregnancy be a virtual reality. It has the feel of something like she she dies tomorrow. Not just because it's Caitlin Shell who was also in that movie, but because it just has that feel to it. It has a feel of a of an Ari Aster story or like right. something like the, the direction is that high level at certain points. He just <laughs> you're telling a grounded story about mothers and daughters and maternal relationships and you're throwing in this super supernatural element that that doesn't jive if if indeed that is what you intended which i don't think it is but again i can't prove that that wasn't the intention all right let's move on the meaning of hitler uh, the meaning of hitler is a uh, new documentary from ifc films and it examines the way we talk about Hitler and the way we view Hitler today and the, the return of fascism as it is happening now in Europe and in many ways in America and how we've taken the meaning of Hitler and we've taken some of the power from that. But in so doing, we've allowed that power to uh, reemerge in other ways. And this is a fascinating way to tell a story and to examine Hitler Um this monster, this evil monster. One thing that, 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 that is really scary is that the, the further we go into the future, the more that we don't have actual witnesses to the Holocaust. And as much as we, as well documented as we've made the Holocaust, the effort that they're being made on the other side to obfuscate what happened is only intensifying. 
And there are people out there who are trying to, you know, 6 million. It wasn't 6 million. It was three as if that makes a fucking difference. Or they're trying to say, well, Hitler, there's one guy, this monsters in the movie that they actually talked to uh, claims that Hitler was a dupe, that this was all, this was all his people doing this. And he didn't know. And he tried to stop the Holocaust. (laughs) No, he didn't. Not true at all. But there's also like the myth making behind Hitler. Do you realize that that, uh, you know, when you talk about Jesus, there is like a period of Jesus life from the time that he was a baby to the time that he becomes Jesus and has followers. There's like a 20 year period where we have no idea what Jesus was doing. And Hitler modeled his life after that by trying to hide the aspects of his life from his birth to the time that he became the head of the Nazi party. He tried to hide the fact that he was a failed art student. He tried to hide where he was born in Austria. He tried to, to keep anybody from talking about his past because it, so it would seem like he was divinely created for this moment to be the, the leader of the Nazi party. That was the myth that he was trying to create about himself. And it's the myth that people continue to try and tell. So this movie goes a long way. They go to his, to, they go to his uh, home city in Austria. They find his art. They put his terrible art on display and have people talk about how terrible it is <laughs> from a from a critical perspective, not just dunking on him, but just talking about why it's bad with actual art critics. It's a very it's a very good thing because it again it's about deconstructing his myth that he tried tried to create about himself and that others continue to try and push. And Lenny Riefenstahl created essentially with with her documentaries on his behalf. So trying to de- deconstruct that and pull and give him a, an actual human history again to remind people that he was a human being who did these terrible things and not this sort of mythic creature that we've created now who is this mythic monster. And he wasn't mythic. He was real. He did this. And But there are a couple of things that really stand out. Is that, that is that what I said about the people who are witnesses to the Holocaust, it's not just them. It's the historians. Every historian they talk to in this movie who's talking about World War II and and the Holocaust is in their 90s. Every one of them is in their 90s. These guys aren't going to be here much longer. And if nobody else is taking up that mantle to continue to keep this history alive and remind people that this happened, that the Holocaust happened, it's going to become easier and easier for these right-wing fascists to try and make up stories and try and make up myths and try and, you know, obfuscate these numbers and try and tell you that that didn't really happen that way. And we need more people like this movie, making movies like this to remind you that this did happen. And one of the most important takeaways of this is that there was one of these Nazi camps, these concentration camps that Hitler tried to wipe off the face of the earth as the, as the war was ending and he knew he was losing. He had them burn it to the ground wipe it off the face of the earth and plant trees over it. And they found it. They found where they think it is. And they're going in there with archaeologists to try and recover anything they can to make sure that they can prove that this place exists so that nobody is able to forget that this happened. That is an incredible way, incredible note to end on and really just makes this movie so very, very powerful. Yeah. Could you imagine though, like, 20 years because he was born like right around Easter so if he was the someone was at some point act like he really was Jesus coming back (laughs) oh man (laughs) that's part of me that wants to I don't want to see that for real I I, want (laughs) to 
meet the idiot that I don't know. I don't. There's, that idiot exists. He's out there. Did they go into that? Like him no, they, don't, they don't make any like a, they don't make anything like that. But the, that's certainly the similar. It's a similar level of myth making that people who are pro Hitler are trying to make How and tried to make. Not- they certainly tried to make at the time. It is weird when you look back on it. Hitler, when you look back on the history that we have, it's bizarre that Hitler came up where he did. Like suddenly, he was he was he was in World War One, and then suddenly he's the leader of the most powerful party in Germany. Where did this guy come from? How did he become the leader? When did this happen? Like people are just baffled by it. He doesn't have a history of being uh, even a military leader. He doesn't have a history of being a politician. He was a guy screaming on a corner. <laughs> and suddenly he becomes the head of the Nazi party. That is something that you can build a myth around. And especially when he then had people going around destroying his history so he could burnish that myth. Well, never mind the fact that, I mean, the Jews, according to Mel Gibson, killed Christ. Now he's turning around. I mean, there's so much you could. I'm surprised Ugh. I've never heard this before. <laughs> I mean, I've thought of it on my own as a joke. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I would never would say it out loud. I'm not right. telling it as a joke now. I'm just really right. talking about it through the. But I've never like ever heard anybody tie the two together until you just said it about this documentary. Terrifying, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it was funny when I was thinking about it on my own, <laughs> right. with no consequences or no nothing behind it other than coincidence. <laughs> but yeah, now you put it in a little bit more context. It's not. <laughs> it's scary. And when you and when you think about how these incredibly learned people who have spent their lives documenting this are now in their nineties, and it it doesn't feel as if there's anybody rising up behind them to carry the mantle. I know there are. I know they're out there. I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure that these historians who are documenting the Holocaust still to this day, like the people at Shoah, are doing amazing work. You know, the the National Jewish Museum is doing amazing work in Washington D.C. But again, when we talk about the people, especially in Europe, who are leading this, they're in their 90s and they're not going to be here much longer. And when they go, they take so much of this with them. I think it's all there. The problem is with today's culture, that's the most vocal people that stand out. So these people with the facts and the truth are, you know, they'll be there, but they got to compete with people making shit up just because they're louder. And yeah, and, and and in ten years, people are going to be shouting, "Well, were you there?" Right, and all those people will be gone who were there. No, I mean, I don't know if this is. I mean, we say it on the podcast, but I'll do it anyway. I'll be vague. But a friend of mine is going to a school board meeting tonight because they want to ignore the Illinois mask mandate. They're gonna, literally the whole town's coming to. They're calling themselves patriots, uh, mm-hmm. and he has to sit there and try to debate with them. And convince them not to get rid of the to ignore the mask mandate. And how do you talk to someone like that? How do you convince them? You know, uh, I, I it, and that's the kind of people that you have to deal with. And that's the thing, though, is that is that when you when your first thing is to when you're arguing with someone, and one of the first things that you go to is, well, that's like Hitler. You've already you've blown right. up the argument. It's over. And that's another thing that this documentary covers is that the, the comparisons between Trump and Hitler. Trump does things that are directly out of Hitler's playbook, provably, provably obfuscating out of Hitler's playbook. But when you compare Trump to Hitler, you're you're ending the argument. You've already you've already lost because you've lost the people that you're trying to convince. Right. 
And well, he's not that bad. Come on. He didn't kill six million Jews. Three. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's. And it's only going to get worse. At least I think it is. I don't know. Like, I don't get on Facebook anymore. Maybe the more Facebook's just taken over by ads, it'll go away. I don't know. Something's got to happen, right? Yeah, yeah. I think we just need to tell people to watch this documentary and hopefully they will. All right. Val. Val. Uh, the documentary uh, about the actor, uh, Val Kilmer, uh, talking about his life and career and uh, the movies that he made and who he is today, dealing with the uh, dealing with the fact that he had cancer, uh, throat cancer that has taken his voice from him and, uh, kind of ended his career um, well before it should have. Um, it this is fascinating. He's so interesting. You know, he has this reputation for being this incredibly difficult uh, diva actor for so many years, and lots of legendary stories about him. And you know, you see it from his perspective, where he's got a camera running the entire time, his entire life. He's always running a camera. You can sense where. Where yeah, he probably leaves out some stuff that doesn't make him look great. Right. But but at the same time, you can also see where he like you know John Frankenheimer wasn't exactly making a great movie. <laughs> he was right. trying to get he was trying to finish the movie. He wasn't trying to make the movie. Uh and so you can understand that whole island of Dr. Moreau thing in a way. Uh you can understand some of his other, you know, quirky behaviors. Um uh, that that are just him being really dedicated. And you can sense also he believes that Hollywood came out against him after he said no to another Batman movie. And I don't think he's wrong about that. I, I think he was mistreated by the studios after that. I think when he refused to give them what, what they wanted, uh, he was labeled in a way and blacklisted in a way. And, and so I, I do buy into that. And I also think he's an, an incredibly talented guy who's just really smart and interesting. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you could have made this documentary another direction, made him look worse. Uh, his ex-wife <laughs> could have made a documentary and probably had some fun with it. But I, I liked it. I thought it was really fascinating because it's weird. He takes himself so seriously, but what he's best known for is complete fluff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, Top Gun, Tombstone, Heat, yeah. The Doors, you know, and he's great in all of them. But right. the movies themselves are just either pulpy fun or kind of a mess you know yeah and and that that's there's a scene where he's at comic-con and he's signing all these things and everybody's like did you say i'm your wingman yeah my name's steve would you just say ice man you're ice man and you're my you're my wingman one person after it is so poignant it's so sad <laughs> you just wonder he's getting he's starting to get sick in that scene and he's feeling ill is it is it just a sense of his own the crushing weight of his own <laughs> reputation that is making him ill or is he genuinely ill well yeah it's you definitely see him struggle with the fact that he doesn't want to do these things but then when he gets there other than that scene where he gets sick uh <laughs> but he seems to have an appreciation for right. his fans and his crowd it's the, really a, the, a neat uh like whatever i don't know what the word is where you're yeah. just you're f- you're conflicted with two things at the same time you know you you appreciate your fans but you don't want to be there and, right. Uh, it's. I, I thought I handled it pretty well. I thought the the scene where he goes to uh, sign p- 
pictures at Tombstone starts yes. off as as very awkward, but it becomes very poignant. And mm-hmm. and the way he he talks about how much he loves that character and the behind the scenes stuff that he talks about with Doc Holliday and how he approached working with Kurt Russell, uh, that was really interesting and it really uh, deepens my love of that movie oh. and the way he appreciates uh, that role. I'll, I'll um, never watch that final scene the same again. Knowing, yeah. knowing the what he what he was trying to bring to it, he clearly does. Because uh, I mean, his brother passed away when he was what fifteen. Yeah, yeah, and that plays throughout this whole movie. You know that that loss it comes right. up back over and over again, and I I really like the way that was handled. And I don't know, I would just really I've always liked Val Kilmer. <laughs> And I always felt like I had to defend him, but he's like the anti Nicholas Cage, where like Nicholas, I mean, Cage did the fluff, but now he's just doing this weird shit. And I guess Val did a little bit of that, but what he's best known for is just complete and utter pulpy, entertaining movies yeah. while wanting to be totally serious. And I can kind of appreciate that. Yeah. He's made uh, he's made some really good movies. Uh, you know, Spartan is a tremendous movie, like a great David Mamet mystery, and The Salton Sea, which I was hoping we'd talk about, but he didn't. Uh, it comes up briefly. Uh, it is an amazing movie. It's really one of the boldest, strangest movies of his career. And then Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I wish I would have had a little bit more of that too. Yeah, we should have made the Spartan Sea the classic because I haven't seen that, and I was actually told it was terrible. Up until this podcast, when you got this popped up here and there, where you guys have talked about how good it is, you and Josh. Both. I love the Salton Sea, but uh, yeah, I everybody I know that's seen her. I should say my grandmother in law hated it and goes never watched this movie, so I just never did. I don't know why. I've it, never taken her opinion on anything it's else. Really arty and divisive. It's a modern modern noir. Vincent D'Onofrio doesn't have a nose. <laughs> it's a whole thing. Should have done that one. <laughs> Why did you hate the classic? No, I didn't hate the classic. The classics, but but after watching this, it kind of takes away from it. I guess. I mean, we'll just go right into it. The thought that he does didn't like doing it. Well, he did a top secret. That's where he spent the time calling it yeah. kind of garbage, right? Uh, but this was kind of intermingled in the top secret as well. They never say real genius, which is our classic, by the way. Yeah, I don't know why I suggested this one. <laughs> Because we, you didn't want to see Heat again. Uh, we've done Tombstone. We've done The Doors. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we've done Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, everything. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Why. I just didn't think of the Salton Sea because it's nobody remembers the Salton Sea except for me. Right. But, I mean, uh, this is I don't fun. Even, this is right. Yeah. He's having a great. He seems like he's having a great time doing this. Uh, he plays a super genius who takes a another super genius kid under his wing in a MIT like school where they invent uh, a laser weapon that can kill somebody from space and they have to stop the military from actually using it. And I uh, really funny. He is so rapid fire and he's so energetic and he's got such a strong wit and charisma. It's just, he, it, it really is like watching somebody with an amazing amount of talent, applying it in a way <laughs> like it is just effortless. Like this is so beneath me, but I'm, you know, I'm giving it, I'm giving it what I can give it. And <laughs> I, you, you can sense I'm really good at this. I mean, that's a hundred percent true. And 
<laughs> and it's just weird with this documentary at the same time watching this movie. And I, I mean, you can see it from him as a person behind the scenes of all these movies uh, in the doc that he's a normal, funny guy. Uh, but yeah, he's also, you know, he's a Juilliard trained actor who's being <laughs> given this, given the role in top secret. And then this, and then Top Gun, and you can just sense that that like this was was beneath him uh, in terms of just how he saw himself and really how talented he truly was. But it is, yeah. But it's weird because we, we literally just got done making fun of uh, Vin Diesel for <laughs> taking himself too seriously. Yes, but, but he does. The some... thing about Diesel is he doesn't have the talent to back it up. Okay, for some reason this is different. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's a talent because as much as you can like the movie the door i mean real genius yeah. is a class, but what are you gonna say about real genius but we'll just keep talking about Valcomer. yeah as bad as the doors is or whatever you want to call the doors he is still fantastic as jim morrison uh he I, you know the, even uh, i don't know and it's like even tombstone is straightforward and entertaining a movie as it is his performance elevates it to something that almost makes it more than it should be. And he does that a lot throughout his career. And I think that's pretty impressive. Yeah. He's, he's incredibly talented. He's a, and (laughs) just, you can just, you just sense the innate intelligence, especially in this character. It's, but it's, it is like, it is something akin to like asking, asking Shakespeare to punch up a, an action movie, you know? It's like the way you apply the talent level here. Well, and even the the Batman stuff was really fascinating because yeah. it was every boy wants to be Batman, and then he got to be Batman. He goes, well, not every boy wants to play Batman. He wants to be <laughs> Batman. And he's realizing he's just, he's in the, he can't even move in the suit. He's just yeah. there to let everybody play around him. And that right. was... In a way, the way they did it, I don't want heartbreaking. It's not quite that, but it's it really is kind of like you know, when a light bulb goes off and you, you kind of realize what he's going through. And yeah, it's first world problems, but it's still if we're gonna look at art that way, I, I get it. And yeah, it just made me understand him more. And I've always it certainly does expose the nature of Batman as oh. a character in many ways because it does it does seem to reduce batman it kind of puts batman in the view of like you know what yeah he kind of is just sort of there while everybody else is doing doing everything you know even even uh even uh christian bale to a point is is desperately overshadowed by you know tom hardy and uh and, and of course heath ledger you know doing these big performances even killian murphy gets to do big performance whereas he's trying to communicate himself through this. And I think, I think he made more of the Bruce Wayne performance than anybody else has even Keaton. I think Bale, you know, did so much with that, that part of the role that he kind of comes through more in the Batman persona. I don't think Kilmer, <laughs> I think that he was so annoyed by the suit that he probably just kind of gave up on the, on the Bruce Wayne bits. Well, there was so there was less and less Bruce Wayne. Yeah. movie after movie. True. So there's that too. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I was really I enjoyed it. I, I did tell my brother I thought Val was pretty good, and he was like, "I want to see what's his ex wife's name, Joanne Wally, or so, what is it?" He goes, I Joanne Wally Kilmer. Yeah, he goes, "I want to see her movie." <laughs> but 
he was very i thought he was fair to her kind of i don't know he seemed to take the blame i don't I yeah don't but it they, was her, uh, they came together at the end like the you know she was there with him right. when his mom died that is so their, their relationship improved at least and i thought it was not that i mean he talks in this movie and you know he puts you know covers the whole hole up and you know makes the noise and there's subtitles but i i mean i don't know some people wouldn't want to do that especially an actor i could see them not wanting to i don't want to call it the most bravest thing in the world because again right. it's first world problems uh but i just thought it was neat <laughs> i agree all right in 1991 we had <laughs> did you watch any of them i don't remember which ones are they the commitments mystery date and women and men Two. I've seen two of those, not recently, but I've seen two of them. Uh, Mystery Date isn't very good. And what was the other one? Uh, the first one? Uh, the Commitments. The Commitments. Yeah, that's another. It's a musical. It's Irish. It's got a lot of attitude. Music's not bad. Mostly has a has a big cult audience. Really? But, uh, beyond that, yeah, there's a cult audience for that movie. Mostly in Ireland. <laughs> but yeah, good music. That's cool. Uh, next week, we got The Night House, The Protégé, Reminiscence, and Demonic. Uh, three of those will be in the theaters, I believe. And Reminiscence will also be in HBO. Uh, what is Demonic? Demonic is a horror movie from IFC Midnight. and They'll be uh, streaming as of uh, next Friday. I'll write that down because I like horror movies. <laughs> Our classic is going to be Clute, uh, Jane Fonda, and Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland. Hmm. 1991, Barton Fink came out along with Dead Again, Defenseless, Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man, and Showdown on Little Tokyo. Uh, I have to watch Barton Fink again. <laughs> yep. I'll, I'd watch Barton Fink no matter what, so it's fine. Yeah, you don't talk about it, I'm going to watch it. Uh, yeah. Anytime to watch a Cole Brother movie, I'm going to do it. Yep. <laughs> All right. Before we head over to Flickchart and then let you go, I remind you to head over to IHateCritics.net uh, if you want to get some of your T Public merch. Uh, Patreon.com slash CriticsPod, the best way, to, best way to help support the podcast. And then if you give us a five star review on whatever platform you uh, listen to us on, we'll read it on the air and you'll be entered into a chance to win a movie. Uh, if you go to our Facebook and Twitter pages, they're pinned to the top. The details, critics, pods, or handle. Uh, and uh, if I may, I've got uh, two things dropping tomorrow. I've got the uh, beat sheet spoiler heavy review of Respect, where I run through all the beats of the screenplay that ruined the movie. And uh, I've got my review of America, Ted Bundy, American Boogeyman, starring Chad Michael Murray as uh, Ted Bundy from the director of of uh, the murder of Sharon Tate. Uh that's uh going up tomorrow which, as well. Which if you were listening to our YouTube channel, you would have heard him talk a little bit about it before we got started. Yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's really uh, terrible. All right, let's move on to flick chart for a little bit before we uh end White Men Can't Jump Sister Act. White Men Can't Jump. Agreed. Transformers Dark of the Moon, Shutter Island. Shutter Island. Agreed. Resident Evil Extinction, Baby Driver. Baby Driver. 
Yeah. Serenity, The Princess Diaries. Serenity. The good one, the sci-fi one, not the Matthew McConaughey one. (laughs) Catwoman, The Scanner Darkly. The Scanner Darkly. Everest, Sunshine. Sunshine. The Brothers Grimm, Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. Absolutely. Spider-Man, 28 Weeks Later. Spider-Man. Agreed. Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Terminator. The Terminator. Yep. Killer Clowns from Outer Space, Jason Bourne. (laughs) Jason Bourne. (laughs) I have an affinity for Killer Clowns, though. Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story, On the Waterfront. <laughs> you do, some, a lot of critics are pointing out that uh, that Walk Hard kind of makes respect and other biopics like that look really silly. Like, how can you make this movie after Walk Hard? Because, <laughs> again, it does, it does do the exact same thing as Walk the Line and all this. Yeah. Every music biopic ever is, is not that I, I don't think Walk Hard is a very good movie. I think it kind of sucks myself but like but that's just me i'm kind of alone on that opinion but uh it does do the beat cheap thing like totally <laughs> makes those movies look very silly there is a part in walk hard that's i mean it's not so much in the movie but more the behind the scenes i think jack black plays paul mccartney and like paul rudd and uh yeah justin long and somebody else i don't remember who all the other beatles were but they were working so hard on their accents and Jack Black's like, yeah, me too. <laughs> and then he's just Jack Black going, I'm Paul McCartney. <laughs> Which I found pretty amazing. Uh, are we going on, on the, the waterfront? waterfront? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the People versus Larry Flint, 12 Monkeys. That's tough. That's a tough one. I don't know where to go on that one. Those are two really good movies. Those are two movies I like a lot. Um, man. Uh, 12 Monkeys is the one I've seen recently, so I'm going to go there. Yeah, these are like a dead even for me. Yeah. Different reasons. Oh, they're two totally different movies, but they're both really good. I'll just go with you because 12 Monkeys is a little less conventional. Not that Peele vs. Larry Flynn is, but 12 Monkeys is out there. Uh, The Book of Eli, Kiss the Girls. Kiss the girls. I don't really have an opinion. <laughs> a mediocre off, they win. <laughs> <laughs> Boyhood, Johnny English. Boyhood. I guess. <laughs> Juno, Flags of Our Fathers. Juno. Yes. Sunshine, She's All That. Sunshine wins again. You know, they're making She's All That for Netflix next month. But it's called He's All That. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Spectre, Kingdom of Heaven. Spectre. Yeah. Again, another mediocre off. Down. I've not seen. <laughs> <laughs> Downfall or the sexual crash. <laughs> Uh, Downfall actually figures into the documentary uh, about Hitler. (laughs) They don't talk about like they didn't talk about it good or bad. They just presented it as one of the many presentations of how Hitler died, and 
it is one of the interesting things that you'll note about the way Hitler is portrayed in movies. He's been portrayed in a number of movies. The only time you actually see Hitler die in a movie, like you actually see it, is in Glorious Bastards. Now, of course, he's not taking his own life in that one. He's being brutally right. murdered. But it's the only time where, where, whereas we've seen the Holocaust victims and we watch them die repeatedly in a number of different movies. Anytime that Hitler's suicide is portrayed, every director, every one of them pulls away. They cut away and you just hear the shot. Somehow he's given the dignity of his death, but not the Holocaust victims. And is That's it, a long way to say that I'm picking Crash. Well, yeah. <laughs> I guess back to that documentary, though. Are, is it, are they trying to, for lack of a better phrase, lessen you know, how big of a monster he is by making him? I mean, I know you can make him. They're trying to make him human. So then you can understand. I, I don't know. Like it almost feels like he's gotten he's turned into a Freddy or a Jason and they're trying which is probably nowhere he's probably way worse than that in real life but what yeah. he did but at the same time I don't know is are they trying to make him they're trying to remind you that of, of he was a human being who did this he was a real person he's not a he's not this mythical evil he was a person that decided to do these these horrific things. The more you're reminded of his humanity, the the basic nature of him just being a human being who made this choice, it it makes what he did more real. But for for me, I mean, I know we're off on a tangent again, way after the fact. <laughs> but to me, that's way worse than any. I don't know. That's I don't know. I just trying to wrap my head around it because I automatically go way past like the worst kind of monsters there are, even though he is a human being, that's what makes it even scarier to me or more disturbing. And I had... that's, that's the whole point. That's what you should be disturbed by it. We all should be disturbed by it. And that we could continue to pretend that he is this mythical monster uh, makes it, it, it only helps burnish his myth that he was some greater evil. Like, you know, all those horrific terrible history channel documentaries that try and link Hitler in the occult. No, oh. no, stop. Don't, don't, don't. I don't care if, I don't care if you seem to have evidence that he talked to Satan or he was a Satanist or whatever. The, I don't, you don't have any evidence of that. You're speculating and you're only trying to, you're only building his myth. You're not creating, you're not making him look foolish. You're cre- you're helping to create his myth by creating this sense that, Oh, he was in line with Satan. See, it wasn't even his fault because Satan did it. Don't ruin Satan for me. Oh, overboard, the last of the Mohicans. What I don't get about the Satan thing, though, if I, I just might, yeah, sorry, I know, it's, is that Satan is the one who's supposed to be punishing Hitler right now. So who, who are we supposed to hate? Like, that's the thing that never made any sense about him, about Satan is like, Satan's evil. He's going to torture you and he makes people do bad things. But at the same time, we also send all of our worst people there to be tortured for eternity. So he's doing us a favor? How do <laughs> like, grow- I, don't under- I don't understand. How do grownups believe that? <laughs> I mean, is it not Santa Claus? I mean, it's that level of childish. Yeah. One of, yeah. Like I can get behind your afterlife, whatever you're an energy or whatever you want to say, yeah. whatever I can understand or maybe even be open to that idea. But there's no fiery place down below that 
<laughs> no matter how bad we are, we're going there. Uh, Saint, uh, Satan is the bye-bye man. <laughs> he's, he's there to punish you when you do something wrong. I mean, basically, hell would be it's a an- metal concert, which is where I want to be when I die. So let's do it. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, isn't isn't Satan just basically Jason Voorhees? Like, anytime you have a, an impure thought, he's there to murder you brutally. Yes, I mean, more or less. Only, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> so why why is believing in Jason any different than believing in Satan? Is my point. <laughs> <laughs> 